Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Very Cold Lasagna Podcast, your place for all those filthy casual takes on the world of sports. I'm your host, Dylan Lasagna. This is episode number 177 of this icy and spicy sports podcast. And in this episode, we're here to talk about the Royal Rumble. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. The Royal Rumble is just around the corner, the beginning of another road to WrestleMania. So for all my wrestling fans, or maybe all you non-wrestling fans out there that happen to stumble upon this podcast, the Royal Rumble is coming up, and that's what we're here to talk about. But hold on a minute. Let's pump the brakes here. This is not actually not the Royal Rumble um, that we're going to be talking about. Not Like, not the upcoming Royal Rumble. No, no, no. We're actually going to talk about a Royal Rumble that is well hidden um, into the depths of the freezer and stuck into an old icebox. That's that is right, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to be talking about a Royal Rumble that happened 20 years ago on this date. Hey, we're still uh, doing this in celebration of this upcoming Royal Rumble, though. But nonetheless, we're here to talk about the 20th anniversary of the 2004 Royal Rumble event. Grab your old iceboxes. Uh, grab your time machines because we're going to talk about this 2004 Royal Rumble on its 20th anniversary ahead of another Royal Rumble event coming up very soon, a 2024 event. So this was actually a big Royal Rumble um, at its time, and why not revisit it? Why not revisit it ahead of this one? So before we get the ball rolling um, with this re- with another retro review, another blast to the past a little bit of housekeeping before we get things started. So make sure you follow me on social media on X and Instagram at Vertical Lasagna. And then if you're listening to this on audio, all my audio listeners out there, make sure you rate and review the show, one to five stars, and leave me some feedback as well. And for my YouTube watchers out there, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, leave a comment with your own takes, um, whatever I'm talking about, including... This Royal Rumble retro review, leave me your memories of the 2004 Royal Rumble, or maybe if you watched it for the first time or never watched it before, leave me your own takes as well. And share this with your friends, share this with your neighbor, share this with a stranger, share this with just about anyone um, about the good word of mouth, or maybe in the bad one about Vertical Lasagna. With that being said, let's go back into the time machine, get into the coldest desk of the freezers make sure you grab a jacket as well and let's review the 2004 royal rumble so now let's once again dive right back in to the old icebox the coldest desk of the freezer as we go right back into the past 20 years ago when the 2004 royal rumble took place taking place on january 25th 2004 the 2004 royal rumble was just the 17th time the event had occurred and you're probably wondering to yourself isn't 17 already a big enough number well considering the 30 year history the 30 plus year history of the wwe royal rumble event uh 17 is eh, a kind of decent sized number it's like almost hitting your adulthood in real life if you want to use that analogy but i digress um the, the royal rumble i believe is like what uh, a couple like several years old now, like 37, 38 years old now, but nonetheless, I'm sidetracking a bit. 17, not that big of a number, um, to some people, but anyway, I'm sidetracking a bit. So, this 2004 Royal Rumble event took place on January 25th, 2004, emulating ironically where the base for all the WrestleMania 40 week events are happening 20 years later. In what was what is now called the Wells Fargo Center, it's what was previously called the Washovia uh, Center. Yeah, that's a weird name. I'm actually glad it's called Wells Fargo Center. So I'm glad Wells Fargo bought the name rights to the arena because Washovia sounds pretty confusing. I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful and all that, but that just sounds very confusing to uh, pronounce. But anyway, um, for this Royal Rumble event all the way back in 2004, the original brand split. The original two roster, uh, two exclusively rostered shows um, were still in effect at the time. Um, so you had two unique shows in Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown with their own rosters, titles, and pay-per-views going on at the time, which originally started back 
in early 2002 um, when the roster was so bloated that from the end of the invasion that, well, WWE had to divide up the rosters into two shows. The exclusive, the exclusivity um, was excluded for shows like this, you know, the Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. They only had four big four pay-per-views at the time. They didn't have money in the bank uh, during this time period. So for this show itself, there were six matches total, not counting the pre-show that I'm going to get into in a bit. So there were six matches total, obviously the headlining match being none other than the Royal Rumble match. 30 total participants, two of them start the match um, with the other 28 entering at 90 second intervals. Um, so the only way to win this match is by eliminating all your opponents over the top rope, uh, both feet touching the floor. Um, you can't go, you can't eliminate your opponent um, through, through the middle ropes or under the bottom ropes, whatnot. And well, the last person standing uh, earns a match against the champion at WWE Super Bowl known as WrestleMania. So that being said, now that I discussed a little bit about the event, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with the Royal Rumble, uh, even though I've, I've previously talked about modern Royal Rumble events uh, here on Vertical Lasagna, well, now you know about uh, some of its history here on Vertical Lasagna. But that being said, let's talk about um, all these matches that took place in the 2004 edition of the Royal Rumble on its 20th anniversary. So, we kicked things off, actually, with the Sunday Night Heat pre-show. Sunday Night Heat was kind of like WWE's... Uh, it served as, for these for these pay-per-views, their pre-show. Uh, it was aired on Spike TV. They kind of got you hyped up um, and tried to convince you to buy the pay-per-view <laughs> at the time. And they it was, it was kind of treated you as like, Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Uh, can I borrow your credit card? <laughs> and, and I'll save them some money to pay you later. That <laughs> kind of thing. So, yeah, this, this Sunday Night Heat pre-show that was on Spike TV uh, during this time period was basically a a preview. Like, you know, like those preview, those previews on YouTube where um, they try to get you hyped up and convince you to, to buy the pay-per-view. So there was at least one match on this show that didn't necessarily correlate um, to the show itself. But we did have one match, and that was the WWE Women's Champion at the time, Molly Holly, taking on Victoria. There isn't really much to say about um, these two women's wrestlers at the time period because women's wrestling at the, uh, during this time frame, I mean, yeah, there were certain things that I liked about this period, but then I know a lot of people like to re about this period for many reasons. But, uh, you know, this period was, you know, I, I grew up with this period <laughs> for various reasons or not. But anyway... Uh, Victoria, who was accompanied by Steven Richards for whatever reason, she still had that uh, crazy Widow's gimmick. Uh, she beat Molly Holly with their Widow's peak finisher in a solid kickoff match. Um, even though it was pretty short, um, both of these women's matches, uh, both of these women haste this match pretty cleanly, um, more so than most of these modern uh, women's matches today. Like, you would, there weren't too many botches. Um, between Molly Holly and Victoria, so I, I, I was surprised that was pretty clean. So that was that was good for them. Um, one of the like few women at the time that could put on a clean match. I mean, other than Trish Stratus and Lita at the time. So pretty solid match. Uh, to kick off the show, people were kind of into it. Um, judging from like the YouTube uh thing that I saw, so pretty decent way to kick off the to kick off the pre-show. Now we get into the main card of the show. Jim Ross is fired up. Jerry King Lawler is there. And then you have Jonathan Coachman <laughs> there as well, uh, for what reason or not. And you kicked off the show with the World Tag Team Champions, Batista and Ric Flair of Evolution. Um, but during this time period, Evolution was like a dominant group um, that had Batista, Ric Flair, um, you know, Triple H and Ric Flair. Um, the two veterans in the game, and then alongside Randy Orton, Batista, the future of WWE, all holding all the gold. And, you know, some people point out, oh, Triple H is reign and terror, right? not. I mean, but besides all that, this group was dominating the WWE. And during this time period, they held all the gold, literally. Triple H, the World Heavyweight Championship, uh, Randy Orton, the Intercontinental Championship, 
And then, as I mentioned before, Batista and Ric Flair holding the tag team titles over on Raw. So they were a dominant faction, like, and they solidified that by holding all the gold last month at Armageddon by its end. So there's not really much debate there. So anyway, they went on to face uh, the Dudley Boys in a tables match. It was a decent yet kind of quick back and forth uh, between these two, both of whom were trying to hood each other out through a table. They all, they only used one table in this match. I was kind of curious as to why, because... You know, the table, a tables match is kind of the Dudley specialty in this kind of scenario. But then you had Jonathan Coachman, who was on commentary. He left the, the desk to run interference in, in on behalf of Evolution. But then he got attacked by the Dudleys. He got his shirt taken off. Um, and then the, the coach, he got the, the last laugh. He got the ultimate payback on on the Dudleys because I think six days prior he got put through a table by the Dudley boys uh, with the 3D. <laughs> Excuse me. As Batista laid out Devon through a table with the spine buster to retain the tag team titles. And then after the match, he had you if you watch the host match with Jonathan Coachman, who's trying to interview Batista and Ric Flair, he sounds constipated as all hell. He's running out of the breath like, huh? Uh, here are your winners, uh, Batista, Ric Flair, Evolution. <laughs> it sounds so consummated. Look, it's like he ran out of breath and all that. It's like, damn. Like, coach, calm down, man. Calm down. <laughs> I know you're all excited that Evolution retained and all that, but you got to calm down. So, I mean, yeah, decent match, but I was kind of surprised that not many, like, not much extreme extremeness was in this matchup but decent way to kick off the show then you had the cruiserweight champion Rey mysterio my all-time favorite um and he still is even during this time Rey mysterio defending his cruiserweight title against jamie noble now the reason why this matchup was specifically happening at the royal rumble well Rey mysterio won the cruiserweight title from tajiri um a Jap uh, popular japanese star at the time uh during this ruthless aggression period he won the Cruiserweight title from Tajiri on the New Year's Day episode of SmackDown. And then the next week after, general manager, you had Paul Heyman uh, scheduling a number one contenders match between Tajiri and Jamie Noble. But then Jamie Noble was not there. Uh, so his storyline girlfriend, uh, Nydia, yeah, they, they were a thing back then. So Nydia... Uh, was forced to be in this match uh, in place of Jamie Noble, but the problem was uh, Nydia was injured in storyline because she was blinded uh, by Tajiri with the, the black poison mist uh, about a couple months prior. Uh, so Nydia was forced to take his place, and, well, basically she was squashed by Tajiri. So Ray came out to save Nydia post-match uh, from Tajiri, and then, well, he got attacked by Jamie Noble. Um who was under the impression that, oh, Ray was trying to harm his girlfriend, even though Ray was technically trying to save her. So, Jamie Noble would win the actual number one contenders match versus Tajiri the next week um, after basically using N Nydia as a human shield uh, to save himself from his opponent. So, that basically sets up this match. So, for this match itself, I mean, it was pretty short and fast-paced. Um, That's pretty much, well, I guess... For, Going forward with this show, other than the last two matches, it was basically the theme of this, uh, the undercard. A lot of fast-paced matches, uh, a lot of the matches' times getting cut. It was kind of a little unfortunate, to be honest with you, because this match um, was kind of fun, for despite the time that it had. Um, the contrasting styles of Ray and Jamie Noel going at it with one another. I like the counter that Jamie Noel had with Ray Spring springboard crossbody into like he had like a knee or into the gut or whatnot but nonetheless um you know the main focus of this match was jamie noble's blind girlfriend um nydia playing a role into the finish of the match so jamie noble was trying to run to the ropes for i guess what was going to be his finisher but it was actually his signature move so nydia was uh you know he, she was trying to like find her way i guess but then she unintentionally grabbed his foot. Um, and then Jamie Noble, as he was trying to run, he he, he got stopped because, well, 
uh, Nidia grabbed his foot by mistake, and then he got distracted, and that allowed Ray to hit the 619, and then hit a leg drop to retain his cruiserweight title. So that finish basically uh, led to what would end up happening at No Way Out um, between Jamie Noble and Nidia. Maybe we'll talk about that in something, something about that in the future. Stay tuned. So next up, our third match involves the Guerreros fighting amongst each other. Eddie versus Chavo Guerrero. These two were form, were tag team champions. They were the the best of uncle and nephew. If I'm, if I'm getting that correctly, uh, let me know if I'm not, but I'll, I'm glad to be corrected. But anyway, Eddie and Chavo Guerrero were the best attack team partners, but then after they lost the tag team titles to the Basham Bros a couple months prior, Chavo started guilt tripping Eddie by calling him selfish and making everything all about himself. Um, which, you know, sometimes it was Eddie's personality, um, but he always lived by the motto of lie, cheat, and steal. That was Eddie Guerrero, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone loved him for it. But, you know, Kurt Angle, you know, uh, he got involved in the storyline as well. He tried to play Peacemaker initially, and it worked, but when the Guerreros had a rematch with the Basham Bros, uh, Chavo this time was the one to get pinned. Albeit thanks to cheating tactics from their manager. Nonetheless, um, Eddie got beaten down post-match, and all Chavo did was, you know, just watch. Just watch it all unfold, pal. And then after they left, he initially helped uh his el- his younger Guerrero up. Um, but then he knocked him back down. And then he busted him open. He cut him the hard way. He made him bleed. He tasted his blood like he was a vampire. So anyway, um, a couple weeks prior to the Royal Rumble. He got his dad involved, the elder Chavo Sr., um, and Eddie's brother as well. So he would get his dad uh, to betray Eddie uh, two weeks prior to the Royal Rumble. And then Chavo Sr. would actually get a win over Eddie in a handicap match three days prior to SmackDown. So, damn, what does that tell you about Eddie wanting so much revenge on his nephew and then his, and his brother? I'm like, well, damn, these are really picking up. Things are really getting personal. So in this match, Michael Cole would repeatedly mention how Eddie went quite beat up on Chavo, um, which you know was kind of true. Was kind of true for the most part. It was basically a pure kind of wrestling match um, because Eddie didn't want to like beat beat up on him. He was like he he wanted to like you know he wanted to punch him so hard that it would make him leave, but he continually resisted. Uh, because he wants to just simply out wrestle him. I mean, that's what that's pretty much your theme of modern wrestling nowadays. But back then, at least you know it kind of had a purpose per se. I don't know. So anyway, uh, you saw that some of that very frequently in this match. But just like in the previous two matches, the finish came sooner if you blinked, sooner than you thought. Chavo tried for the three amigos suplexes. Uh, but Eddie countered and delivered his own three amigos, his own signature, with perfection. Then he finished Chavo off with the frog splash. So, yeah, it pretty much came sooner than you thought. Yeah, the match was not much to remember because it was just basic mat wrestling. But, I mean, at least they made they made something out of it. They made at least a bit of a story out of it. You know, Eddie not wanting to be overly aggressive because he's Chavo's own flesh and blood. Um... But yeah, I mean, it was what it was. And this was kind of a notable... This match was actually more notable um, in the sense of, well, this was actually the beginning of Eddie's rise towards the WWE title um, later on because, well, the Philadelphia crowd being red hot for him, and he was already slowly but surely on his way towards that path. And this is also kind of notable in the sense that, you know, of the post-match stuff because afterwards... Eddie Guerrero laid the smackdown on his brother Chavo Sr., um, whom he tied up on the bottom rope with his tie. And then he forced his brother Chavo Sr. to watch him erupt in quotation and beat up on his son Chavo Jr. And he made him bleed and he made him taste his blood. So, yeah, that's pretty much your match. That's pretty much your post match antics. And, you know, I'd say it was a very solid match and very. Uh, story-driven match. 
um, based on Matt wrestling. And then the post-match stuff was more notable than the match itself. Next matchup over here, you had WWE champion Brock Lesnar taking on hardcore Bob Holly. In this matchup, like this had a little bit of background, like well, well, a year and a half in the making. So during a match on SmackDown, like during Brock Lesnar's rookie year, uh, Brock Lesnar hit a powerbomb on Hardcore Holly that went way wrong. That went way well wrong. Uh, Brock Lesnar uh, hit a powerbomb on Holly who landed neck first onto the mat. And it, you know, looking at that video package um, before the match started, that looked really bad. That looked really bad on Holly and it resulted in a year of, a year of his career um, being costed. So, Accidents happened, but damn, that looked really brutal for Hardcore Holly. Excuse me. So anyway, you had Hardcore Holly return at Survivor Series as part of the Team Angle Team Lesnar match, um, and he got himself disqualified for being too revenge, uh, too vengeful on Lesnar. So over the the next course, the course of the next month, you had Hardcore Holly going on to attack well, the Big Show. And Brock Lesnar in order to get his WWE title match that he wants at the Royal Rumble, which he would get. So, in this WWE title match, um, that you know it was decently paced. It was, it was well within its time frame. Holly, as soon as Brock Lesnar came out, he immediately went after his ass before the bell rang. He tried to get a little one up on Brock Lesnar, but Lesnar took control as soon as the bell rang, and he turned. He slowed the pace down. Uh, significantly and turned it into a wrestling match but hardcore holly rallied rallied back in got in a little alabama slam and he got in the full nelson uh he got in the full full nelson lock in uh but unfortunately he got rolled out of the ring with lesnar while still having it locked in and well he couldn't win the match that way because you can't make your opponent tap out or pass out while they're outside the ring you gotta win it inside so Unfortunately, Hardcore Holly had to bring it back in the ring, and that's where his downfall would begin. Holly would act like a dumb babyface by trying to lock in the full Nelson while Lesnar was still on the ring apron, and then Lesnar countered. Um, he pulled his face onto the top rope, and then the finish saw Holly acting like even more of a dumber babyface, running straight into an F5. Out of nowhere, Lesnar retains the WWE title. So the one thing I'll give this match um, is the promo. The promo package and story, it kind of makes you feel bad for Hardcore Holly. It makes you hate Lesnar in some sense. Um, they turn Holly's uh, real-life neck injury into a revenge story of sorts. Uh, unfortunately, you know, with the direction that WWE was going with Lesnar at this time, you know, they are building up to an obvious big money match. At least that's the way that WWE seemed like it was going to be. I mean, it was a pretty predictable result at the jump. So, unfortunate for Hardcore Holly, but, I mean, the way th that they're going with Lesnar at the time, I mean, again, pretty predictable. Then we have our second-to-last match of the of this Royal Rumble Retro Review, and that was a big one. This was a big match uh, on the Royal Rumble card, and that was the World Heavyweight Champion Triple H taking it on Shawn Michaels in a last man standing match. This was actually one of their big matches um, in their long ass rivalry um, that dates well back in 2002. The late At this time, um, this was the latest installment of their long rival running, running rivalry that dates back in 2002. Well, again, which started out with Triple H faking a reunion of D-Generation X with HBK only to turn on him. And then they had their first set of heated battles in 2002 with the Elimination Chamber, um, and then in SummerSlam, and then in Armageddon, and then they went their they own merry way in 2003 with a few interactions here and there, but then it really picked up at the end of 2003, 20 years ago, ironically, when Shawn Michaels initially won the World Heavyweight Championship from Triple H on the last Raw of 2003. But then general manager Eric Bischoff, who was officiating the match, reversed the de decision because both men's shoulders were on the mat during the deciding pin. And then he decided to, quote unquote, fire 
Shawn Michaels in his hometown of San Antonio. But then the other big surprise was Sheriff. Yes, there was a new sheriff in town in Stone Cold Steve Austin, who was previously fired from his position as co-general manager back at Survivor Series. So they introduced a new sheriff position for whatever reason in Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then he went on to avoid the firing. Not sure where he got that power at the time, but yeah, he was there to enact the law. So a week later, going to the new year of 2004, Austin announced that Triple H would defend his title against Shawn Michaels in a last man standing match at the Royal Rumble. So basically, you know, going to this match, the premise was going to be uh, who is going to be able to get that one count. So, yeah, that, this is going to be a, basically a test of wills between two former friends. And, yeah, throughout this whole match, you know, the first the first few minutes was kind of a slow burn. It was just your basic stand wrestling match um, before things started to really pick up some. You had Shawn Michaels miss a crossbody um, onto Triple H. He was sent flying to the outside. And then you saw color. You saw color a couple minutes later. Michaels was the first to bleed after, yeah, he missed that springboard crossbody onto Triple H through the announce table. And, you know, my thought was, okay, yeah, there's going to, I expected color in this match. But then my thinking was realistically, what part of the announce table, when you miss a crossbody, could he, could have he landed on? Uh, face first to cut him open. I mean, yeah, he probably bladed. He probably used a blade to cut himself open, but it's like, damn, how could he cut himself open after missing a crossbody where he didn't, he, when you watch it in very slow motion, he didn't really land on his face. <laughs> he really didn't land on his face on the announce table. So just think about that. Just think about that. So anyway, uh, Triple H, you know, during this next part of the match, he repeatedly tried to get Shawn Michaels to lose via the 10 count, because that's how last man standing works. So for several minutes, you just saw Triple H trying to beat the pudding out of Shawn Michaels with a bunch of hard hands and whatnot. But Shawn Michaels wouldn't give up. Michaels countered a pedigree after uh, after a couple minutes, and then he launched Triple H uh, head first into the ring post, and then he made him bleed with a chair shot. So both men were bleeding at this time. It was becoming a bloodbath in the ring. And then Michaels rallied back and he tried to go for switch in music, but Triple H punched him in the dick before he could get uh he could get all the super kick. And then from there, they traded finishers with one another. They tried to get each other to stay down for the 10 count. But then after Michaels made it before 10 after after a pedigree, he got in a sweet chin music super kick to Triple H out of nowhere. And you know, from there, the Philadelphia crowd seemed like, oh. He's going to he's gonna win the World Heavyweight Championship. Jim Ross thought he was going to win the World Heavyweight Championship. He was going to make it up to his feet at the 10 count. But no, just at the very last moment, just when Michaels was about to get up, just before the 10 count, nope, he drops to the mat. And as a result, the match ends in a draw. People were pissed on that night. Uh, people were mad. Uh, at the result. So, you know, my opinion, uh, this was, this was a still, this was a still a good last man standing match. It dragged at times, but, um, this was still hard hitting. This was still physical. This was basically a test of might, a test of a wit between these two best friends. You got to remember, sure. There weren't a bunch of hardcore spots. There weren't a bunch of table spots. And whatnot. There weren't a bunch of like weapon spots in this match. But you gotta remember the one thing that Shawn Michaels said in that video package. It all it takes is one second. And when you think of that one second, you gotta think of it like a boxing match. Um, you gotta get up before the count of ten. They they were basically trying to outfight each other and outbox each other until the other one couldn't have that one second. So yeah, when you look back at this uh, last man standing match. Um, 20 years ago, uh, or 20 years later, uh, per se. Yeah. Modern wrestling fans will probably look down upon it, but you know, for someone that really hasn't looked back at it much, um, has only had his fair share of it through like Instagram, Instagram posts, Twitter posts. Um, and maybe I think I only saw a little bit of it as a kid, uh, before, 
Yeah, I, I now watch having watched it in full. I think it's still a good a good one. I I still think it's a good last man standing match. Again, it dragged a little. It dragged at times. Um and yeah, their previous encounters back in two thousand and two were much better than this. And well, their later and eventual final encounter were way better than this one. But this last man standing match for what it was, it wasn't great, but it was good for what it was. So it was that. So yeah, they did meet each other a couple more times um after this uh after this Royal Rumble last man standing match. Um and but before I can get into further details, maybe you wanna maybe wanna stay tuned if I want to talk about those other two matches uh down the line. But there's also another thing that happened <laughs> backstage between these two. There's a little I think I remember a little backstage interaction um these two had like when they were being stretchered out and then there's some more footage. If I remember correctly, there's some more footage um going on but uh between those two. Like they were like in they were like right next to each other, they're being checked on and they were like still talking to one another. I think I remember watching some kind of clip of that. I don't know if it still exists out there or maybe I'm like not remembering things well. But if if I if I'm right or maybe I'm not remembering that correctly, let me know in the comments uh, on YouTube or send me a message on social media and linking that video to me. But let me know if that video is still out there. It's like a video of Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Um, you know, a a video like that backstage video of them, you know, being uh, after they get stretchered out and after the camera cuts off, there's like a I think it was a home video exclusive of them like talking to each other after the match is over. Um, and they're just being checked on and whatnot. It, it's interesting stuff. So now you have your main event. Um, and that was, of course, none other than the 30-man Royal Rumble match. Like I said, with the rules of the Royal Rumble match, there were 30 men that's uh, in the match total. Duh. With two of them starting out the match um, and the other 28 entering at 90-second intervals, um, whatever number they drew um, throughout the match. And then... You, you win the match by eliminating all your opponents uh, over the top rope and both feet uh, touching the floor. And the last person standing earns a match against the champion at WWE Super Bowl known as WrestleMania. So for this 2004 Royal Rumble match, uh, unlike the modern ones where WWE would get lazy and just have wrestlers announce their entry into the Royal Rumble, I mean... Yeah, it did still happen um, during the 2000s uh, and in this year. At least, you know, they would still book, during this time, they would still book wrestlers to actually have to earn their spot via qualifying matches. At least sometimes. At least they still try to do that. And then, you know, at least there was still a purpose of having that um, back in the day. Nowadays, you're just like, oh, hey, you want to get into the Royal Rumble match? All you got to do is announce your spot until there's no more left. Like, that's just laziness. That's just lazy booking right there, man. Like, maybe, like, maybe, can we have that back? You've already done with Money in the Bank qualifying matches. Like, I mean, can we have that with Royal Rumble qualifying matches at least? I know some people will argue that, oh, it's just a waste of time, but it's just like, oh, why the hell not? Um, and especially if, you know, if there's a little bit of story involved and, you know, with this one, with this particular Royal Rumble match, one of those qualifying matches featured John Cena and Vacant. Vacant uh, redacted, beating the fully-blooded Italians to qualify. However, a week later, Redacted decided to go out and be a dick to general manager Paul Heyman and forced Redacted to compete at the number one spot in the match. Now, why am I saying Redacted? Uh, why, why specifically Redacted? Um, well... Redacted decided to do something in the in the near future that would get himself redacted, vacated in the history books. But more on that in a bit. So six days prior on Raw, um, Goldberg, Bill Goldberg, had won a battle royal to earn the ability to enter at number 30, the very last spot in the Royal Rumble match, potentially making him the odds-on favorite to win this Royal Rumble match and earn himself a championship opportunity at WrestleMania. So during this time in 2004, 
I'll be honest with you, there weren't, like, just watching this Royal Roll match, there weren't really a lot of odds-on favorites uh, just leading up to this match that you could say, oh, maybe this person can face uh, the champion at WrestleMania. You know, even though they're, like, uh, wrestlers like Goldberg, Kurt Angle, Kane, Booker T. That was pretty much it. That was pretty much, like, your your players in the WWE during during this point of the ruthless aggression era. It's like, damn, like, who are you going to, like, are you either going to have one of those top players face the champion at WrestleMania, or are you going to make a new star um, coming out, going out of it? So, it was, it, I just looking at it, it was like a tough decision that uh, Vince McMahon and his creative team were kind of like dealt with. They were dealt a tough hand at the time. And may, honestly, you know, looking at the the upcoming Royal Rumble, maybe they are t- dealt with a little bit of a tough hand. Even though, um, just looking at um, who are the favorites in this particular Royal Rumble with the men's and the women's, I mean, it's anyone's guess. It really is anyone's guess. So going back on track with the 2004 Royal Rumble, there was a little bit of shenanigans. <laughs> there were a little bit of shenanigans before the Royal Rumble match actually started because both Raw and SmackDown general managers, Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman came out and they decided to get into a little bit of fisticuffs before things started until Sheriff Stone Cold Steve Austin went out to enforce the law and gave both of them stunners. Uh, and then, yeah, that was pretty much that. Also, before the match started, Brock Lesnar interrupted an interview with Goldberg. Uh, something that Goldberg did back at Survivor Series. Um, but more importantly, that was set up to set up seeds for something even bigger down the line. So, something to keep a note of um, as we talk about this Royal Rumble match. So, as I noted uh, earlier, Redacted um, was given the first entry uh, by Hall, Paul Heyman, and at number two, you had the Intercontinental Champion Randy Orton of Evolution uh, starting this Royal Rumble match. And then, yeah, as with these Royal Rumble matches, um, I'm not going to go through bit by bit by bit because that would take an eternity. Um, if you want those kind of content creators, yeah, they're out there, but I'm not going to go through every single bit of what happens in a Royal Rumble match because that would take an eternity, okay? So anyway... Um, I'm just going to go through some of these highlights of what happened in the Royal Rumble match and some of these notable entries. So you had Bradshaw, um, later known as John Bradshaw Layfield, um, JBL of the APA, coming out at number five, cleaning house of the, well, the other four competitors that were in there. He cleans house with a bunch of clotheslines from hell, but he was quickly eliminated by Redacted, who also eliminated Mark Henry minutes later. So it was like, damn, they're really trying to make Redacted a, a a believable wrestler. I'm like, okay, all right, they'll they they can try, but we'll see how um you know the 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 crowds outside of Philadelphia will react to him. So then you had Kane enter at number twelve. Um, unfortunately, he was eliminated less than two minutes later as he entered it because there was a familiar gong of the Undertaker who had been buried alive uh, by Kane and Vince McMahon. A couple months earlier at Survivor Series 2003. So Kane, uh, he almost cleaned house, but unfortunately, um, as soon as he heard The Undertaker come out at number 13, 12 and a half, because he technically didn't come out at number 13, uh, The Undertaker continued to play mind games on Kane, and then that led to Kane's elimination. So this set of this latest play at mind games by The Undertaker but continued to build towards his return as his dead man persona rather than the American badass one that we've seen from the last three years. So that would continue to build towards his return versus Kane at a later date. So later on in the match, uh, much later on at number 18, you, before there was Brodus Clay, you had Ernest the Cat Miller and his manager Lamont that wanted to somebody call his mama. Somebody call his mama. So basically, he's dancing and prancing at number 18 before he got eliminated by Redacted and Randy Orton. So yeah, before there was Brodus Clay, there was another guy calling his mama and 
Well, unfortunately for him, he literally had to call his mama because, well, mommy, I got eliminated from the Royal Rumble and not going to WrestleMania because basically they got released uh, well after WrestleMania. <laughs> Sorry to see that happen. So at number 21, Test was supposed to enter the match, but unfortunately he was found knocked unconscious backstage. So Sheriff Stone Cold Steve Austin had to enforce the law and direct someone as the new entrant for this Royal Rumble match. So that new entrant turned out to be Mick Foley, the, the person that had been teased all night sitting at ringside and requested by Stone Cold Steve Austin to be in this Royal Rumble match. So Mick Foley actually made his way to the ring, making a beeline for Randy Orton, and he eliminated uh, both Orton and himself from the match uh, to keep their feud going. So keep in mind, um, Randy Orton had taken out uh, Mick Foley uh, back, uh, I think like six or seven months prior uh, in that Madison Square Garden episode of Raw where they were honoring Mick Foley. But then backstage, Randy Orton kicked Mick Foley down a flight of stairs. And then now here they are a couple months later, Mick Foley is out for blood, for Randy Orton's blood. And well, this is another way to get their feud going. So then nine entries later, you had the 30th and final entrant, Goldberg, uh, cleaning house. He came, comes out and dominates this match, and everyone's thinking, he, he's going to win this match. Goldberg is going to win this match. But then, out of nowhere, here comes the WWE champion, the Beast, Brock Lesnar. And he comes in, um, unentered, uh, not officially in the Royal Rumble match, and F5's Goldberg. So he, he scurries away. And he watches Goldberg uh, as he as Goldberg is all mad at Brock Lesnar, gets distracted, and he's promptly eliminated by Kurt Angle. So that that continues to set the stage for their big showdown later on down the line. So another layer to their story. So everyone left in the field is going after well, where was the big show? Who was the literally the biggest man left um, in the field? However, it was basically all for naught because Big Show eliminated John Cena, Rob Van Dam, Chris Jericho, and then Kurt Angle. So there's all but two competitors left that left Big Show and Redacted left in the in the ring. So Redacted was basically just well shit. I'm left with this big giant fuck. So Big Show looked to eliminate Vacant early, but Vacant reversed uh, whatever Big Show was trying to do with a front face lock. So uh, he carried uh, the momentum onto the ring apron with that front face lock. And until he could lift the Big Show's big ass body over the top rope, he tried to lift. He tried to, tried to crank up the Big Show like his theme song until he could like get him over the top rope. And once he did, he won the 2004 Royal Rumble match. So there you go. Redacted had won the 2004 Royal Rumble match, overcome the odds of running the gauntlet, running the table all the way at number one, becoming the second ever person to run the gauntlet at number one. So yeah, in terms of this Royal Rumble match, I mean, it wasn't bad, uh, but you know, just while having watched it, seeing all those entries at the time, like more than half of it, you just see how slowly and surely some of that star power um, is just severely lacking. Um, that's not making it all that memorable. I mean, what made made up for it, though, was the various storylines it ended up leading to. You know, Cena versus Big Show, Foley versus Evolution, Kane versus The Undertaker, and then obviously... <laughs> the Goldberg versus Lesnar feud for reasons. And then, of course, the big title matches at, at WrestleMania 20. So, in retrospect, it was an interesting choice for that certain individual um, to to win the Royal Rumble because uh, while he was one of the best technical wrestlers um, in professional wrestling, he didn't have much of an explicit character people could tap into, and that's just my opinion. Maybe uh, people could... Uh, prove me wrong. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, it just, just didn't change the fact that people of all kinds, yeah, were still into him, though. But considering the field at the, all the, at the time, yeah, other than Goldberg, there wasn't really anyone else um, 
that could re- realistically uh, win the Royal Rumble. So yeah, might as well go with the the a, st- a wrestler that you could try to build into a star. But unfortunately, for this Royal Rumble match, WWE can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> they can barely talk about this uh, Royal Rumble match uh, anymore. But yeah, they 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 can't really talk about it anymore. Uh, to not even twenty years later. Uh, because well, three years later, um, that particular individual decided to uh do something that is a big no-no. They decided to um do a unfortunate sin, murder his own wife, murder his own uh own son, and then kill himself. So yeah, no, might, might as well, might as well just bring up the name. Might as well just bring up his name here and now. Uh. The name is Chris Benoit. Three years later, after winning the Royal Rumble in 2004, um, three years later, he went on to uh, commit the a double murder and suicide that affected professional wrestling. So basically, because Chris Benoit killed his wife, killed his son, and himself, this event and his Rumble victory have been erased from history. I mean, not necessarily because you can still see it on WWE.com, but... It does not get any passing mention on TV any longer. So, well, for a reason, WWE can't mention it because you know it's a it's associated with the murderer. It's like you don't they don't want the bad very bad publicity. It would they they it it, it associates with because well, if you if one single mention would leave, would have the people going re re it's a murder they're mentioning that murderer again. Like you you just they just can't they just. Don't think it's worth all the bad publicity. Um, it would show up again. So, yeah, it's it's very, very unfortunate what Benoit ended up doing. But as for this Roy Rumble itself, um, again, very eh. But I mean, at least they, they tried to do something by making trying to make a star out of Chris Benoit. So I forgot to mention something about this Roy Rumble match and this event itself. Throughout the entire event, commentary kept talking about how the Royal Rumble winner would challenge the champion at WrestleMania. So, because since 1992, um, after the the Royal Rumble match was for the WWF Championship, which was held by Ric Flair, ap- after that Royal Rumble match, the following year, the prize for winning would be a guaranteed WWE title match at WrestleMania of that year. But the year prior, with the brand split going on, um, the rule was modified in which the winner could challenge for that brand's world championship. So let's say you're um, you're the winner of the Raw brand, so you get the challenge for the world uh, the world heavyweight championship, or you won the Royal Rumble and you're a member of SmackDown, so you get the challenge for the WWE championship. So that was the case with Brock Lesnar the previous year. So that being said, with this year, with uh, with 2004 in retrospect, Chris Benoit decide to exploit a loophole, a.k.a. the champion part of the loophole that they kept saying. And he decided to jump ship from SmackDown to Raw and challenge Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship instead of, uh, I think it's Brock Lesnar, who was the WWE Champion at the time. Yeah, Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. So that began the whole shebang between Chris Benoit and Triple H. And then eventually Shawn Michaels would interject himself into the match because yeah, he's Shawn Michaels. He can interject himself and he did such during a contract signing and by being Chris Benoit in the match, which led to Sheriff Stone Cold Steve Austin making the championship match a triple threat at WrestleMania 20. So more importantly, uh, though, with the Royal Rumble matches going forward, this led to a permanent change in the rule book for the Royal Rumble winner where a choice can be made for which world championship can be fought for at WrestleMania. And that same uh, choice can be applied later on when they start doing the women's Royal Rumble matches. So going forward, um, you can now choose between the the either, either world championships for the men and same thing for the women. And yeah, another choice is going to be made um, coming soon with this year's Royal Rumble uh, 20 years later. So, meanwhile, uh, due to Chris Benoit going over to Raw, Paul Heyman had to announce a second Royal Rumble. Yes, there had to be a second Royal Rumble on SmackDown 
to determine Brock Lesnar's challenger, not for WrestleMania, but for the No Way Out event in three weeks' time at Fe in February. So, Eddie Guerrero would go on to win this match, and let's say, uh, maybe for that match, maybe another story for another day. How about that? How about that? So, overall, the 2004 Royal Rumble, 20 years uh, back, as we head towards the road to the 40th anniversary of WrestleMania, this 2004 Royal Rumble was, it was, eh, it was okay. It was eh, all right to look back in retrospect. I mean, other than the last man standing match, everything else proceeding with, it's not really worth writing home about because, well, everything was so fast paced. Every, everything was so short on time because, well, <laughs> The last man standing match took up so much of the time. I mean, I understood the Royal Rumble match is going to be like at least an hour. But damn, that last man standing match ate up so much time that there's not much room for the rest of the undercard. So, yeah, there's not much room that you could hope for. So, like I said with the Royal Rumble match, meanwhile, it wasn't terrible. But there weren't any spectacular moments uh, to speak of and in that match that will have you say 20 years later like oh wow this is something that we could talk about and well yeah especially now that you can't because you can't talk about it because of what happened uh three years later so <laughs> well whoops sorry uh if that thing didn't happen that certain thing didn't happen in 2007 of june well we could have at least still talked about it, but nope he just had to go and do it he just had to go and do it so Overall, um, yeah, Royal Rumble 2004. I mean, I guess I say the only thing that could you could go back and watch is that last man standing match. And if you're curious, uh, maybe the Royal Rumble match, I guess. But other than that, this 2004 event is just, eh, just eh. So anyway, let me know your thoughts on on the 2004 Royal Rumble if you had previously watched it or you're curious in watching it or. I don't know. Maybe you just don't care to watch it <laughs> or you found something on YouTube that maybe had you say, oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. So anyway, uh, let me know your thoughts on the Royal Rumble winner itself in this time period. That being redacted, a.k.a. Chris Benoit. Um, and, you know, if you thought about Chris Benoit during that time period of 2004 and if you still think 20 years later he deserved to win it or not, let me know that about that as well. We can have a discussion about it in the comments on YouTube or on social media. Send me a DM in, in, that way as well. And with that, thank you for tuning into this episode of Very Cold Lasagna, episode number 177 of this icy yet spicy podcast. This is your host, Dylan Lasagna. And until the next one, keep that lasagna very cold in the fridge with your takes on the world of sports. And in the next episode, we're going to be finalizing our coverage of the 2023 conference championship previews so that part will be the nfc championship game between the detroit lions and my san francisco 49ers so make sure you tune into that one coming up soon but until then until the next episode peace out